Hey everybody, welcome to episode 256 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a cold and rainy Austin, Texas. But I'm excited to be here with you today. Today I want to do something, I guess a little bit different in the context of things that I've done. But I get, I often get questions from people about my coaching philosophy, what I believe in as a coach, and... I want to talk about that today and kind of put it in one episode that I can point people to that I think sums up in the best possible way what I believe about coaching, what I believe the keys to success are as it relates to getting your running related goals. And so what I want to do today is talk through those elements in a format that I actually created about five years ago. Five years ago, I had one group at Rogue Running called the Rogue Morning Show. That's the in-person Wednesday morning group. Shout out to them for doing it every Wednesday and Saturday. We meet at 5.30 a.m. on Wednesdays, which is why we call it the morning show, and we get it done. That group has missed only two workouts in now more than 11 years of me coaching them. So rain, shine, heat cold weather, snow, we've done it, rain, all of it. We've done it in all conditions. And so that group I've been coaching since September of 2010. Now I have some additional groups within the Rogue Umbrella, including the Rogue Renegades podcast group. But what I did five years ago was I wanted to codify my thoughts around my coaching philosophy and be able to communicate it in a way to my athletes at the time that would be easy to grasp and understand. And so I put together 12 principles for success that at the time when I drafted this initially, it was called the Rogue Morning Show Way. Now we'll call it the Running Rogue Way or the Rogue Way because I think this extends well beyond just that group, certainly. And this is a document that I've made some tweaks to since initially codifying things in 2016 but that still rings true more or less to this day. And so I want to share with you those 12 principles that I have written down. It's just It's a simple two-page document, 12 principles, six in the category of training principles, and then I've got six in the category of racing principles that I think represent the keys to success in this sport of running if you want to keep getting faster and if you really want to relish the journey. And so to me, this is an opportunity to put all of this content in one place. I could refer people to it who might be newer to the podcast or who might be interested in my coaching philosophy. And also so I can refer to it for those that I coach directly so they know exactly what we stand for in this rogue this broader rogue community of ours and I consider you all as listeners a part of our rogue community just in a, a little bit of a different way. And so I'm going to I'm going to walk through these 12 principles. I'm actually going to read you t- some of the text directly from what I wrote in 2016 because I think it's still relevant today and then we'll give some other color commentary and then keep rolling through it. But again, this is in many ways just a summary of we're now on to 256 episodes of the Running Rogue podcast. And this is a summary of pretty much everything I believe about how to get faster as a runner. Some of these things you'll have heard before, some of these things I preach often, But here they are all in one place so that you can digest it and also so that you can come back to it. Episode 256, come back to it for a reminder when you need those reminders about the key elements to success. So here we go. The 12 keys to success, we'll call it the running rogue way. We'll break it down into training and racing. We'll start with training. Number one. Number one on my list under the training bucket, and I'm going to read to you the text I wrote five years ago. Do the work. Be consistent. No excuses. Consistency is the number one success metric when it comes to long distance running. 
The more consistent you are from day to day, week to week, month to month, and year to year, then the more likely you are to reach your potential. This means that no run or workout is more important than any other on the path to your goals. Long or short, easy or hard, they all matter. And doing the work routinely over time matters most. Is it okay to miss a run every now and then? Of course. But if you want to achieve your goals, then you will make that the exception and not the rule. Do the work. Be consistent. So that one, if you've listened to many of these episodes, is pretty straightforward. That's probably something you would expect me to write in this list. But I want to emphasize a couple of things in that point. One is this idea that it is a year-to-year journey that you're on. It's easy to get lost in the details of the present day, present workout, present training cycle, present injury you might be facing, present bad race outcome that you might be overcoming. It's easy to get lost in the present. And while, yes, you should always be present, it's important to make sure you're keeping that long-term view. If you keep doing the work, if you keep checking the box from day to day, then you will ultimately get those goals if you work at it long enough. But it is a long-term game. There are no hacks. There are no quick results. It is all about putting one foot in front of the other for years, for even decades, in order to reach your maximum potential. And far too often, I run into athletes that bring a short-term perspective or view or who want, perhaps better stated, who want quick, rapid results. And certainly there are times when those things happen when you might have massive progressions within one single training cycle. But if you're talking about optimizing your potential, it is a long-term, many-year journey. And that is hard for people to accept sometimes. It's hard for people to commit to. And it's definitely hard for people to execute on because it requires doing the work on the good days. It requires doing the work on the bad days. It requires working through the failures. It requires staying committed even through the successes. It requires so much energy and effort to stay consistent. And honestly, not that much, not that many people have the metal for that metal M-E-T-T-L-E. Not many people have the metal for that kind of journey keep doing it day after day, week after week, month after month, day, a year after year. There's a quote from the great Elliot Kipchoge, world record holder in the marathon. And he says, champions are not made on race day. They are made in the months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, and seconds they have spent preparing. So you have to ask yourself, how much do I want my goals? How committed am I to being the champion of my goals? And if you're committed, then that means taking a long-term view and making sure that you keep doing it. You keep doing the work through failures, through tough days, through good, through successes. And keep just keep doing the work. The other thing I wanted to talk about here is this idea that every run is important in that grand spectrum. Doesn't mean you can't miss some, as I noted, that's going to happen. But all the runs are important, not just the quality workouts. And certainly you could probably prioritize runs if you have to in a short window and you say, well, look, I can only do three runs in a week. Let's prioritize those in, in the context of which ones are most important. If I have to cut something, what goes, what gets cut out? Certainly you could play that game in a small window. But again, over the long haul, over the long term, all the runs matter. The long runs, the short runs, 
the easy runs, the hard runs, they all matter. Because if I look at it, let's just compare two days. If I have a quality workout one day and then a recovery workout the next day, which day is more important? Yeah, the quality workout is there to help you fine-tune your speed. But then the recovery workout or run is there to help you recover from that hard quality workout so that you can then do another long run or hard quality workout. Both matter and in the grand scheme, they matter equally because you're not going to get to your ultimate goals and potential if you're not doing the recovery runs the way you should be. And no, you're not going to get there either without the quality, but both things have to come together in order for it all to fit together for you to reach your potential. So remember that note is that all the days matter. It's not just the sexy ones where you get to run fast or where you get to post on Strava. Those are the days that might get you more kudos on on Strava, but ultimately what's going to get you to that goal? It's all of them. It's also that three to six mile recovery run at glacially slow pace that most people will ignore on Strava because it's not sexy but it's the glue that keeps it all together so if I were to emphasize again two points from this main point on do the work be consistent it is take that long-term view and remember that all the days matter speaking of mattering let's get to my second point here on training this one also goes back to a point that I made with former co-host Steve Sisson in our seventh episode, and it is number two, Miles Matter. And I'll read my text here. Miles Matter, the father of modern distance coaching, Arthur Lydiard, said it best. You don't make yourself great doing anaerobic training. You make yourself great doing aerobic training. How is that achieved? By changing your aerobic physiology through long, easy distance. In order to make you faster, we need to literally change how your body is constructed by building more capillaries in your muscles, adding adding mitochondria to your cells, making your blood more efficient at carrying oxygen to your body, and by adding lung capacity. How is that done? By running more miles from whatever your starting point. So, oftentimes when I say miles matter, you have to run more. People want to throw things at you and say, well, I can't can't run too much or I'll get injured. Well, the key point there at the end is by running more miles from whatever your starting point, it's not necessarily about getting to some arbitrary mileage number because we don't know what your body can handle. We don't know what you need to do to reach your potential, but we have to learn and you have to learn by continuing to step it up to the extent that you can within the context of your starting point within the context of your constraints meaning what time you have and how you can balance stress and rest and then certainly in the context of what you've learned through your training journey about the mileage mileage that you have done so far but the miles matter and particularly the easy miles matter so I'm going to stress some points from this second point it's one that The easy miles are the most important. And this may be the single most important point I stress in all of my 256 episodes. You have to run easy in most of the mileage so that two things can happen. One, so that you're in the right zone to build aerobic capacity. Because aerobic capacity building happens at easier efforts. That's all those physiological changes I just listed. And two, so that you don't stress the neuromuscular system in a way that would get you injured. So when you run easy, you stay in the right aerobic zone and you make sure that your body can handle the load in volume because your neuromuscular system is under less stress than when you run fast. And that's the key that people often miss. They say, well, I can't run more or I can't do more days because if I do, I'll get injured. 
Well, the reason you're getting injured is not because of the more days or the more miles. It is because you're running too fast all the time. And if you slow down and take it easy, then your neuromuscular system will be happy and you'll also end up in the right aerobic zone to make all those physiological changes that we talk about there. So that's subpoint A. Subpoint B on this point is this idea that you have to build from your starting point. That runner who is used to running 15 to 20 miles a week cannot rapidly just ascend to doing 40 to 50 miles a week. Same thing with that runner doing 35 to 40 miles a week. You can't suddenly ascend to doing 55 to 60 miles. You have to make sure that you're building gradually, patiently, by not adding too much within a given cycle and period so that your body can adapt to handling the load. One of the things that's true about our aerobic system is that it can often build to a point where the aerobic system is more powerful than your neuromuscular system. So what's happening when we're building volume is you're actually teaching your neuromuscular system to handle the load. Basically, you're strengthening the chassis, so to speak. You're adding shocks to the system. You're putting in a stronger suspension so that your body can handle the load. But those adaptations take time, just like the aerobic adaptations. And so you have to give your neuromuscular system time to adapt so that it can then give you the ability to make those aerobic adaptations. So you have to build gradually from whatever your starting point. And that means, again, keeping a long-term view and taking those steps in smaller chunks. I think I've said it before on the podcast, but I don't like to see someone build by more than about 20% in total weekly volume from one cycle to the next. I'm not talking about from week to week. I'm talking about from one cycle to the next. 20% total in terms of the volume per week that you're running. And so be mindful of that as you build in your journey. Number two, miles matter. Easy miles matter. Number three is a corollary point that I've already touched on a little bit, but I'll read it here. You have to go slow to go fast. Going faster is not better. In order to optimize your aerobic development and keep you injury free, the vast majority of your mileage should be done at easy conversational paces. There's a time and a place for faster work, and Wednesday is our time for that, along with the occasional Saturday, speaking about our days for quality workout and long run. Going faster on other days is wasted mileage that will hinder progress towards your goals. Go easy on the other days so that you can go fast on your quality day and when it counts on race day. You have to go slow to go fast. This one I'll talk about in generalities, but this is probably the most counterintuitive in, counterintuitive point about optimizing your running journey. And it's this idea that you have to go slow on your easy days in order to get faster in the long term. And people mess this up all the time because we think our intuition would tell us that you have to go fast to get faster. And so you oftentimes new runners will tell me about going out on the same loop that they often do around their house and just thinking if I just get a little faster each time then that will somehow lead to me getting faster in the long term and the truth is it might actually help you in the very near term you might see some progress in a very short window of time but then over time you're going to plateau and potentially end up in an injury cycle where you just consistently get hurt and then build back to the same place over and over again. I was actually having a conversation with a neighbor of mine on Halloween. We were we were trick-or-treating with the kids. They were kind of going from house to house in front of us, and we were having a conversation. And he's not somebody I've really ever talked to about coaching content, but he knew he know he knows what I do and was asking about it because he started a running routine during the pandemic and was talking to me about this exact point 
where he was going out and doing a very similar loop from our neighborhood and just trying to get a little bit faster each time. He told me the paces that he was running and I told him that he needed to slow way down and mix things up in order to get faster. So I made this exact point and his mind in many ways was blown. He was like, really? Because I go out and I want to work hard and I want to get faster. And so I run as fast as I can. And, and I've been able to improve my time on that loop for by this many seconds over the last six months. And so he had the whole, all of the details, but I had to burst his bubble a little bit and say, look, what you're doing is fine in the short term, but in the long term will lead to you plateauing, staying at a similar place with that loop. But if you want to ultimately smash your goals or do something much bigger, then you need to slow down on most of those days. And I told him the paces that I ran on my easy days and he, his mind was blown compared to what he was doing on his fast days, knowing my history in the marathon. So I get it. It's a counterintuitive point, but the sooner you embrace it, the sooner you will be able to make big strides because it ensures again, that you're in the right aerobic zone. It also ensures that you stay injury free or at least as injury free as possible. And then it allows you to unlock your potential in the long term and part of that is by giving you the ability to go fast when it matters that's on your quality workout days and that's on race day the other sub point here is that when you go too fast you're literally actually wasting your time when you go too fast on easy days you're literally wasting your time because you're running too fast to build aerobic capacity, you're actually in the wrong aerobic zone when you run too fast, and you potentially risk injury because you're stressing the neuromuscular system in a way that you shouldn't, which could therefore then cause you to get hurt, which can cause you to be inconsistent, which the go then goes against the first two points that I just made about doing the work, being consistent, and that miles matter. So go slow to go fast. The sooner you can embrace that concept, the better. And really, it shouldn't be that counterintuitive because if you think about weightlifting and we have no problem embracing this concept in weightlifting, in weightlifting, if I'm trying to improve my bench press, I go in and I do higher reps, aka higher volume, at lower weight, aka lower intensity, most of the time, and then occasionally I try to max out. If I'm trying to improve my bench press, that's what I'll do. I'll go in and do lower weight, more reps most of the time, and then occasionally I max out. And guess what? Your bench press will improve if you do that. Running is the exact same concept. You do lower intensity, i.e. lower pace most of the time, and you do more volume, more reps most of the time in order to max out on race day and when it matters. So, It's actually the exact same concept that you'll find in strength training. And yet, for whatever reason, we seem to not buy it in the running context, even though we'll buy it in the strength context. So that's number three. Go slow to go fast. Number four, respect the purpose of each day and each training phase. Optimal running training is not about running the same pace every day and hoping you get faster, Optimal training varies your pace and efforts from day to day and period to period, developing the right parts of the aerobic system at the right time in order to peak at your goal race. Within a week, this means appropriately balancing workouts with easy and recovery paces from day to day. Within a training cycle, this means working the right effort levels and paces within the right training phase from base training to aerobic strength to race specific work in order to hit your goal when it matters. This is the periodization concept that I talked about a lot in episodes recently. This is the idea that you have to modulate. You have to modulate your work. You can't do the same thing every day. Every day has a purpose. You need to focus on executing that purpose. And then you go to the next day and you do that. And you need to modulate within a week. You need to modulate within a training cycle by periodizing that training cycle. 
And then you need to modulate across training cycles so that you're not always training for the same distance. Because when you train for the marathon over and over and over again, you are not optimizing the marathon. You will plateau there. You have to mix in speed cycles. You have to mix in half marathon cycles. You have to then mix in a marathon cycle again in order to get faster at the marathon. It all requires modulation. Modulate your work. Within a week, again, that means going easy on some days. Like your recovery days. That means doing your quality work on certain days. That means getting in your medium long run at easy efforts. That means doing your long run at easy efforts. Every day within a cycle has its purpose. Every period within a training cycle has its purpose. And then every training cycle within your bigger journey has its purpose to get you to your overarching goal. And if you're not piecing those things together in an appropriate way, then you will plateau. You will also sub-optimize your work. I think this one is tough to do. One of the biggest reasons why this one is tough to do is because we like we like our routines. We like to settle into grooves. And while I believe you can create a routine around this type of modulation, it might be hard in practice to do that for whatever reason. We fall into ruts. We go out with training partners who are doing something wrong or going too fast and then we refuse to say no and just fall in line. So creating routine around this modulation is more difficult than it sounds. But once you do that, then it's easy to settle in. I often run with the same person on my recovery days. For me, that's typically Wednesday and Friday. On those days, I run with a friend who also is willing to run at easy efforts. We're similar paces when it comes to our fast days, but we're also similarly minded knowing that when it's time to go easy, we go easy. And we're not tempted when we're together to break out of that cycle. And so you got to find those compatible recovery run people to help you with that. And I think it's also helpful to find a coach that can guide you across within cycles and across cycles in order to make sure all the pieces fit together in the right way because it takes the full puzzle. You don't need a bunch of pieces that are all the same. It takes the full puzzle. Each puzzle piece is unique. You have to put it together in order to build that bigger picture. Again, easier said than done, but I would ask that you commit to it. Don't get stuck in a rut. That's number four. Respect the purpose of each day and each training phase. Number five, recovery is as important as the running itself. Recovery is as important as the running itself. In order to stay healthy and consistent, you must take recovery seriously. Figuring out the support activities you need to stay healthy and work through aches and pains as they come. From stretching to rolling to massage to strength. Determine what extras your body needs and make them a priority within your routine. You can't achieve your goal if you never make it to the start line. You can't achieve your goal if you never make it to the start line. This one is probably intuitive for most of you. We all know that recovery is important. And I've talked essentially about recovery running already, but this bullet, this is reserved for those extras beyond running. These are the the bonus things, the 1% things that keep you going, that are the glue, that keep you moving in the right direction in a training cycle. When I first started as a coach, I don't think I quite realized how these recovery modalities can be very individual. What one person needs is not the same as what someone else needs. And so while at the beginning of my coaching journey, I would be more prescriptive with, with the group and saying, 
these are the things I recommend doing and giving a cookie cutter explanation for that or cookie cutter recipe for that. Now I've learned after coaching for about 15 years that it's more individual than that and that everybody needs to figure out the recovery modalities that are important for them, the extras. And that typically is beyond sleep, which is the number one recovery modality, beyond sleep and recovery running. Those are the, probably the top two recovery modalities. There's there's a formula of another two max three things that everybody else needs to stay healthy in the long term. And you've got to figure out what those things are for you. You've got to figure out what those things are for you. And that can be a little bit of a trial and error process, which is frustrating because you will make some mistakes along the way, but you have to just start experimenting, play with it, add little things to your routine, see if it helps. For me, I would say the top two additional recovery modalities besides sleep and recovery running would be foam rolling. And now I have one of those percussive massage tools as well, the the electric ones, the vibrating ones. But I would put that in the same category. It's self-massage. So self-massage would be one. And the second one would be mobility work. That's for me, what it takes to get my particularly ankles mobilized so that I can stay in the right biomechanics. Because when my ankle gets locked up by biomechanics shift, that then creates ripple down effects that cause injuries in a, a host of places. A few of them tend to pop up consistently when I'm not good about my ankle mobility work. So Part of my recovery routine, jumping on the foam roller. Part of my recovery routine, ankle mobility work to make sure that I'm still moving properly. Those are the things I can't do without. Sleep, recovery running, mobility, and foam rolling. But for you, that formula is going to look a bit di- a bit different. Figure it out and then do it and then execute on it because it's not going to be helpful thinking about it. You actually have to do it. And that's the thing with recovery. One of the other points though here to make is that I often find that these extras, these recovery modalities are best done if you can multitask. If you can multitask. Because we all are time constrained. We can can all struggle to get this stuff in. But for me... The nice thing about those two elements, foam rolling and ankle mobility, is that I can do them while I'm doing other things in my daily life. I like to jump on the foam roller at night, watching TV or watching my kids. And I also can do my ankle mobility while actually being on a call or thinking through some of my work where I'll just stand up and and do a little bit of ankle mobility leaning against the wall during my work day. So it actually fits, fits into what I'm doing already. It's not something I have to necessarily add time for. So the more you can integrate these extras into your daily routine in life so that they're not creating more constraints for you, the better. So that's number five. Recovery is as important as the running itself. Number six, and this one... I think will look a little different for different people depending, but I'll read it. Find strength and and accountability in the team. Running is only a solo sport if you let it be. Lean on your teammates for support, not only to get your runs done, but also to find inspiration when you need it. We are all better, faster, stronger when we train and race as one. Do the work, do it together. Now, if you're listening to this, you might say, well, I'm not a part of the rogue team. So what does that look like for me? Well, it depends on what your team can look like. Because I encourage everyone to find a team of some of some sort, whether or not it's specifically defined or whether or not there's a true label for it. But find a team. Find a group of people that you can be accountable with. 
might be the occasional running partner. It might be a group that you decide to do a similar set of races with so that you can train in parallel even if you're not running together and then at least get together for the race itself. It might be family and friends that are helping support you along the journey. But but it's, I think it's critical to reach your long per, long-term potential if your running is not a solo sport. And some people may say, but it's good. I'm good with it being a solo sport. And I get that. <laughs> I'm personally an introvert who for a long time trained on my own and who loved that and still love the ability to check out on a run and get in my own head and solve the world's problems. I totally understand that. But I also know having run basically did about half my running career more or less solo and half my running career with groups of with people and I can tell you I'm better with people even though I didn't realize it until I really fully embraced the group training philosophy and again it doesn't mean you're training with this group but I would encourage you to find a group that you can at least be connected to share your stories and get motivation and accountability from each other you need somebody who's going to text you and say hey did you get that workout done because that's going to help ensure that you do get that workout done on those days where you don't want to. The other part about this that I want to emphasize is that we often look to elite runners, to motivational figures for inspiration as it relates to our own running. And those people can be very inspiring. I'm not minimizing what they offer. But I also encourage you to seek inspiration in that everyday runner who is just like you, who's getting it done. The the Molly Dykstra's of the world who was on my last episode about her qualifying for Boston. I think part of what's great about her story, her journey is that she's like everybody else. She works. She's got young kids, a family. She's trying to balance it all and get to Boston and achieve that goal. There's a ton of inspiration to be found if you just look around you in your running community, in the immediate vicinity in which you might train, live, and race. And I want you to think about tapping into that. I often say to my groups that you don't have to look any further to find inspiration than your teammates and the people that are doing it exactly like you're doing. And that could not be more true. There's so many inspiring stories. I could tell you an inspiring story about every person that I've ever coached that would have you ready to run through walls. And so I would encourage you to make sure that you see the inspiration in those athletes that might look just like you. So that's number six on the training bucket. Find strength and accountability in the team, however your team may be defined. All right, so those are our six for training. Now let's flip over to our six for racing because doing the work is one thing, but bringing the right mentality to race day is another. Both things are important in order to reach your long-term potential. So here we go. Number one on the racing bucket, and I'll read it. Trust in your training. Race day brings many unknowns and often involves going to unknown places within yourself, both mentally and physically. There is at least one thing that is known, and that is the work you have done on hot days and hilly courses with your teammates to prepare for your day. Trust the work. Trust the work. Trust your training. I was actually talking about it with... Noah Drotti and Kara Goucher on my recent episode with of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. If you check that one out, Noah Drotti is a is a U.S. marathoner. He's about to run in New York coming up here. He's the ninth fastest marathoner of all time, and yet is currently unsponsored. And he had to actually get a real full time job in addition to the running he's been doing, trying to be the top American in New York. 
So he was talking about that mindset shift and how it's been a weird cycle with just a different routine. Instead of being a full-time runner, he's having to balance the two things, and that has left him struggling to find confidence in what he can bring to race day in New York. And he talked about going back and looking at his training logs and reminding himself through that that he's done all the work that he's done before, that he's put in the miles, that he's done the hard workouts just like before, and that he's as ready as ever to go crush in New York, even though it doesn't feel like it. And so Kara encouraged him to actually bring his training log to New York so that he could review that information and be reminded of the preparation and the readiness that he brings to that start line. And the same is true for all of you. Remember the work. Go back, review the workouts. Think about the miles. Think about those long runs. Think about those runs on tough days, whether it be wet or hot or humid or coming up here soon, cold. Think about the stuff you've done in the tough conditions that all point to the fact that you can get it done. And that's what this is all about. Because when you get to that start line, that is the that is the most concrete thing you can carry with you is the work that you've done. The other thing built into this point is this idea that there are a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of uncontrollables too, things you can't deal with, weather being one of them. But one of the biggest unknowns that people face when trying to go do something they've never done before, like run a PR in the marathon or half marathon, is that you don't know if you can do it until you actually do it. And so every race where you're trying to go run faster than ever is a leap of faith into the great unknown and Part of what draws us to this sport is this idea that we can go to those unknown places and push and test our limits in ways that we never thought possible, but you have to put yourself in that place. And so it's easy when that's happening to get excited about it, but it's also easy to get scared and to worry and to want the unknown to be known But if it was known whether you could do it, it wouldn't be fun. It also wouldn't challenge you. And so you have to then instead focus on the things that you do know. And so I was having an exchange this week with one of my athletes. And I I simply said, you don't know that you can run 26.2 miles at that pace. You don't. You've never done it. But what you do know is that you can run one mile at that pace. And that's all you have to do. Start just like that. Run one mile, then two miles. Keep stringing them together until you can't because then the outcome will take care of itself. You will be present and then let your training take over and do the work for you. And so in those situations where There are so many unknowns on the start line. You have to trust your training and you have to focus on what you know you can do. And the work shows you that. So that's number one. Number two, execute the plan. No matter what happens, execute the plan. Run the paces you have planned to run. Take nutrition and hydration when you had planned to take them. Take the race one mile at a time and execute each piece when it comes. If you do that, it doesn't always guarantee success, but it does ensure that you've done everything in your power to get your goal. Execute your plan. Control the controllables. I can't tell you how many times I've had athletes not execute the plan for whatever reason. And look, it happens. And look, it won't be perfect. I promise you that. But... I don't think that we always grasp the importance of being precise with your execution. That is everything you have on race day. It's your ability to execute your plan. Do it exactly as you'd written it or planned it. Because if you do that and you give your best, That's all you can ask for. 
Now you might be able to go back and question the plan later, but you will be able to walk away from that race knowing that you did everything in your power to get the goal. I've had people in marathons tell me they skipped a gel at mile 16 because they quote felt good even though it was their plan to take a gel at mile 16. Well, let me tell you, we often feel good at mile 16 of a marathon. You hope to feel good at mile 16 of a marathon, but that doesn't mean you've missed your gel. Take the gel because you plan to and because you're going to need it at mile 19 and 20 when things start to get hard. And so execute your plan. Again, this doesn't mean it has to be perfect. It won't be You know, the great Mike Tyson has said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, your plan is going to be fluid a little bit when the race happens, when the gun goes off. You're going to have to make some adaptations. You're going to miss some paces here and there, but that's a part of it. Then get back on plan as best as possible and continue to execute that plan all the way to the line. If you do that and you give your best, then you've done everything that you could to get your goal. And if you didn't, it's okay. You take your lessons and move on. So execute your plan. I can't emphasize that enough. Number three, race without fear of failure. Race without fear of failure. There can be fear going into a long race like a half marathon or marathon. And a little bit of fear is absolutely okay. Fear means that your goal is big enough and the challenge is worthy enough The one fear you shouldn't have is the fear of failure. That is the paralyzing fear that holds you back. No matter what happens, no matter the outcome, there is no failure in a race if you have done everything you can and left it all on the course. If you do that, you can't fail no matter what the clock says. Plus, your teammates are here for you and will love you no matter what. I've talked about this on recent episodes. As long as you're learning, you're not failing until you quit as long as you're learning you're not failing until you quit and this one is much easier said than done I think we often think about the what if negatives walking into a race the what ifs related to failure what if I fail what if I'm not good enough what will other people think? How will I feel when I fail? What will this mean? How will I respond when I fail? What will it feel like? Will I recover? There are always so many things that swirl in our head about this idea of failure, but you have to learn to push it away. Because that is the paralyzing fear. That will that will mess you up. And part of dealing with the fear of failure is recognizing that failure is only possible if you quit and if you don't learn. If you push, if you give everything you saw everything you had and you learn, there is no failure to be had. It's just a checkpoint in the journey on the way to achieving that goal. And if you can race with that mentality, it will change everything. It will allow you to go for broke, so to speak, and not hold back because it won't matter. Again, easier said than done. And again, everybody has to find their own way to get to that place. But the ultimate nirvana I think as it relates to racing is this idea that you can simultaneously want a goal so badly that you're willing to give everything for it while also simultaneously knowing that if you don't get it, it's going to be okay because you'll learn, you'll keep working, you'll come back and you'll get it at some point down the road. If you can get to that place, that is the nirvana of racing because it's the it's the yin and the yang the perfectly balanced mindset of simultaneously wanting it so badly that you're willing to give everything on the course while also knowing that if you get there to that finish line and it's not what you wanted that it's okay because you're going to learn 
You're going to move on. You'll get it down the road. And because those around you will still love you no matter what. So bring that yin and yang mentality to your next race. That's number three. Race without fear of failure. Number four, start slow, finish strong. Start slow, finish strong. For races longer than the 5K, the optimal race strategy is to plan for negative splits or finishing faster than you started. This couldn't be more true for the marathon and half marathon. The best way to get the most out of your race is to stay patient early and then finish strong at the end. There are so many who don't follow this strategy and end up crawling to the end. Don't be one of them. Start smart and in control based on the plan we discussed and then relish in passing the other poor bastards at the end. I said this on my Renegades weekly podcast the other day and it 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 was simply that if you're if you're not getting passed at the start of a race, you're doing something wrong. And if you're not passing people at the end of the race, you're doing something wrong. You want to be getting passed early because that means you're starting smart. You want to be passing late because that means you're finishing strong. And at the end of a half marathon and marathon, if you're not passing people at the end, that means you're probably slowing down too. I cannot emphasize this approach enough. If you want to achieve your best marathon or half marathon, you absolutely have to learn the start slow, finish strong mentality. You absolutely have to learn to bank energy and not time. And I know there will be people that say, well, that's not, that doesn't work for me or I've tried that and it doesn't work. Well, if you've tried it and it doesn't work, you're still doing something wrong. And so you can learn can learn to get this right and one way to learn that is by doing races doing practice races training races where you intentionally start slower than you would if you're racing all out and then give yourself give yourself plenty of room to finish strong so you can start to teach your body and mind how it works and if you can create that muscle memory if you can create that visual memory of what that looks like and feels like then it will carry over to races where you're riding a finer line start slow finish strong talked about this on many a race plan podcast it is the optimal way to run your best in a race and if you're not doing it then you're leaving time out there that is for certain that is for certain that's number four number five leave it all on the course If you have done your job at the beginning of the race, then you will finish strong. But will you finish as strong and as fast as you can? My favorite memories are watching Rogue members kicking at home at the end of the race with the nastiest grimaces on their faces, passing many people along the way. No matter how you feel with one to two miles to go in a race, make the decision to empty the tank and push until you can push no more or until the finish line comes. This one's tough. Leave it all on the course. Because you're the only one that will ever know. You're the only one that will ever know if it's true. And it might look different each time. 2016, I ran Boston. I ended up with a stress fracture in the race. And it got to the point at mile 21 after we crested Heartbreak Hill that I had this feeling in my left heel that I was either going to tear my Achilles or fully fracture bones in my heel. I didn't know which it was, but I had this intense instinct that if I kept running, one of those two things would happen. So I stopped and walked for a bit, tried to run again, and I had this excruciating pain to the point where my body just said, no, you can't do it. So I walked the last about four and a half miles of the Boston Marathon. That's all I could do. I couldn't run. All I could do was walk. And in spite of everyone cheering from behind the fencing, that's all I had. And on that day, I finished in my personal worst marathon time, but I left it all on the course. That was all my body had on that day. 
Fast forward to this year, just ran Boston in 303. Did not have the race I wanted. Finished with an eight-minute positive split. My leg is really shut down in mile 18 for reasons that I'm still sorting through. But, and all I could run in the final miles was 7.30 to 7.45 average or so. I wanted to walk. I thought about walking. But I knew that I could do better than that, that 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 was that it wasn't twenty sixteen, that my my body could run and I could gut out some miles in the seven thirty to seven forty five range. Is that again is not a judgment on that pace. It's just that's what my body had. That's as much as I could give, even though I wanted to walk. I left it all in the course running those paces. And I've had it look like leaving it all on the course at very different paces, much, at much, much faster paces where the race was going well. And so this one's tricky because it looks different every time and because you're the only one that will ever know. But you just have to keep pressing. One of the ways that I like to do this is, is to chunk it up at the end of a race when you feel like you're on the edge when you're on that line and this is where my advice I've given before on the podcast counting comes in because what I've found is that when when I want to relent when I'm ready to back off because things are hurting too much if I count to 30 and just press for 30 seconds then I can then I can do that I can find a little tiny gear that I can press a little bit more than I might have been pressing and if I count to 30 seconds and then start again, another 30 seconds, then that will help me stay very present, chunk up the race in as small as segments as I can just to, to give everything I have to that finish line. That is one mental trick I use. Mantras are another mental trick. I talk about fight mantras all the time. If you have a good fight mantra, that will help you dissociate from the pain and find those extra gears to finish as strong as you can. And again, it may not look like a certain pace, as I said in 2016, walking was leaving it all on the course for me. But whatever that looks like for you on a given day, give it. And if you do that, then you can be proud walking away from it. That's number five. Leave it all on the course. Number six, do it for you and for the team. For this context, I'll change that a little bit. So do it for you and for others. You should know your purpose in the race and certainly be racing it for yourself and for your goals. But don't forget your teammates are watching and cheering and loving you from the sideline and from tracking screens many miles away. What you do on the course is for you, but it also serves as an inspiration for the group. I say this not to add pressure to your race, but as a reminder that you're all inspirations to each other you aren't alone in this journey. When one succeeds, it sets off a chain reaction of goal smashing throughout the group. We do this together. And again, I think that applies whether your team is well-defined or whether it is not. If it's just those running friends of yours that you occasionally get together with and share text messages about, your results inspire others. And so, yes, do have a laser-sharp reason why you're getting to that start line and why you want your goals. But I think that is only enhanced and made more powerful if you're also doing it and, and or doing it while connected to others, friends, family, running community around you. Find those in your circle that you can inspire by how you show up. And I promise you, it will make the journey more meaningful it will also make it easier to leave it all in the course because I can't tell you how many times I think about my teammates, my athletes, and the broader road community when I'm in a race and thinking about not letting them down because if I give it all, then that will inspire others to give it all. And again, that creates this ripple effect that is very powerful. It's why there is magic in the strength and accountability 
of a team and of a broader community. And again, if you don't have one that's well-defined, define it for yourself because I promise you it will make the journey more powerful. It will make the peaks higher. It will make the valleys not as deep and it'll make it a hell of a lot more fun along the way. So there you go. 12 points for the running rogue way. Now you have an episode to hang your hat on to come back and listen to that summarizes what I believe are the most important elements to getting your goals in the long term. I hope this was helpful for you. I hope it resonated. I hope it was good for some reminders. It was fun for me to talk about. With that, we'll wrap up episode 256. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.